HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to the second season of Magnifico Radio, the weekly bod- podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black. And if you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday and one o'clock here in Brooklyn. So welcome. And if you found us through iTunes or Stitcher, also welcome. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Each week, I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss the latest in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. It's the first show of the new year, and how many of you have made resolutions or pledges to make some changes this year? How many made pledges to do with living more sustainably? Are you going to follow with the words of advice of Vivian Westwood to buy less, choose well, and make it last? Or are you planning a fashion fast, no new clothes for the entire year, or no new fast fashion for the year? Or what about what Livia Firth recommends? You remember her of the red carpet green dress challenge. She suggests trying everything that you buy. Don't buy it unless you're sure that you'll wear it 30 times. More and more people are becoming aware of the environmental and social issues within the fashion industry, and we're trying to be the change, but maybe the change needs to start with a more critical look at what it is, and more importantly, why it is we're buying. I thought we should start the year on a reflective note, so I've asked Parsons fashion professor, author, Buddhist, activist, artist, the list goes on, Otto von Busch, to join me to talk about the allure of fashion and our fashion addiction. Welcome. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. So nice to see you. So let's start with all of these labels. How, how do you describe yourself and what you do? 
Well, yes. I mean, of course, I'm a I'm a fashion scholar and fashion teacher. I mean, I teach fashion. That's that's. But but uh, <clears throat> I I did fashion design and these kind of things too. So so. But I guess I'm trying to look into what what are sort of the more social and perhaps mental drives of fashion. Or I mean, we could jokingly call it sort of metaphysics or whatever you want to call it of, of fashion or philosophy. Well, that sounds pretentious. But, but I think the interesting part is that so much are, is discussed around the industry and the system. And I'm trying to understand more, you know, what, how does fashion work between us as, as human subjects? You know, how does it work in our mind in the sense of how you know how it's connected to self-esteem, self-worth, th- these these kind of things, and how that, of course, is tied into the sort of capitalist or the, the larger economy, and and if we're especially then looking at sustainability, how are we going to approach this in a in a way that corresponds better with the way we live socially and the way we, I mean, the mental functions by which we call ourselves ourselves you know identity and these kind of things so so th- those are the subjects i'm trying to look at which of course ties my designerly practice towards a sort of a scholarshiply level if you want to say so well and that's why i wanted to have you on and have this conversation because the the longer that i've been in sustainability and the more i dive in the faster this industry seems to be growing so i just don't understand it i feel like we're getting a kind of broader understanding as as a culture about what the impacts are of this industry and yet the industry is continuing to perpetuate the the kind of growth that is unsustainable that is that is causing um, a whole bunch of systems problems as you as you say it so why 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 is are we in this conflict why is the industry growing at a rate that seems almost unsustainable i mean my thinking around this centers on i, I think so much of our discussions around sustainability mainly concerns the environment, I mean, the, the, the natural environment, if you want to say so. You know, we look at eco-cotton, we look at washing and, and, and dyeing processes and, um, and, and those kind of, which are easier for the industry to deal with and are perhaps, if you want to say so, a little on arm's length from the driving forces of, of, of the system, in a sense. Um, meaning that they are also the quick fixes, if you want to say so. And, and to me, I think... I'm more concerned with, okay, so let's imagine we fix all these things with sustainable fashion. Let's just imagine that we tick all these boxes. It's eco. It's we, we pay living wages and good wages. We people are happy. People, are, you know, everything is is good. Is that it? Is is fashion? Are we then in fashion utopia? Is is the rest of the economy, the rest of the emotional life, the rest of the social relationships we build through the realm of dress? Are we there then? You know, is is that is. It's everything. It's the only problem with the industry that is unsustainable because nature is suffering and people overseas are suffering, or is it something that is also that you know they're suffering here? There's bullying, there's violence, there's rejection. There is people with bad self-esteem that needs to f- buy in order to keep up an emotional state where they feel they are worthy something. You know, is there something in the whole sort of competitive economy that we live in that draws me to consume more and more and more? You know, so that when I when we celebrate things like lifelong learning, lifelong change, and the the, the amazing possibilities that sort of a liberal society, whatever, has has helped us uh, produce in society, in a in a free society, what we call the West, you know, uh, 
how does that relate to me needing to buy more things? You know, if I'm supposed to try out a new sport now, if I start taekwondo, I have no idea. But you know, I'm supposed to buy the gear. I'm supposed for everything. I'm supposed to sort of embody that through buying new stuff. You know, I'm supposed to change my career. I have several different jobs. Every different job, every different identity I, I, I have, I'm supposed to wear different clothes for it, in a sense, you know. So I think that's sort of tied to the more sort of free we are, in a sense, you know, the more r- prosperous, in a sense, a society gets, not only sort of materially, but also in, in, in possibilities, also means that we're drawn into consuming the, the, the gear for all those possibilities, in a sense, you know. So that's why I think, ex- exactly, you know, we... we, we even though we know more about sustainability, even though we we are um, more aware, so, you know, we, we still do it, you know, because we're drawn in a society that where our social relationships are built on those those values. Well, and you're you're making me recall um, an article I'd read over the holidays where now corporations have um, some sort of personification. If you think about the Kardashian lure, you know, and and the and the new president of this country, country like. Reality TV is kind of the face of corporations and the face of consumption. And so we now identify with brands through these faces. And so are we kind of, are we, are we being mindless a little bit in, in how we, like how we need new uniforms for everything that we try or how we need, you know, we need to kind of protect ourselves or create some sort of illusion using clothing? I mean, for sure. And I think, a, a difference too is is today we are supposed to build a personal brand. You know, we we, we are we're giving courses in how you know even high school students should learn how to write CVs. You know, we're supposed to build ourselves from our accomplishments in a very very individualized sense. Meaning that also as as we work with social media and Instagram and these kind of things, I'm supposed to present myself as this continuously evolving, continuously perfectuous uh, self, you know, and, and, and so much of our, you know, the way we manifest our everyday life, it needs to be photographed and I need to be looking good there and I most probably should not wear the same things as last time, you know. And I think it's so fascinating, I mean, it's many years ago now, I, I started looking into this uh, online platform called lookbook.nu um, and I thought it was so fascinating. Suddenly there was like a total like street style, uncensored in a sense, street style platform where everybody could, could upload images of themselves and they could hype each other and like build communities and these kind of things. And I first thought, wow, this is an amazing liberatory practice in a sense. You know, people, any sort of style could emerge here. That's amazing. But of course it wasn't, you know, because at the same time it was extremely homogenizing. <laughs> and, and instead became this, you know, where you would have a certain kind of people that would upload new images every day in new outfits. And of course, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody bought their things, but you know, most probably they had some relationships to stores and whatever where they could borrow whatever. But still, it, in order to be to be on those platforms and be successful on those platforms, you have to continuously update yourself every day, and you look and every day. And I think that just sort of you know, it's a contagious behavior where where we just are drawn into that, and awareness is not enough there. And I think this is really where the tricky part, and, or where I feel that we need to th- talk much more about sustainability in our how does social relationships exist H- how does it affect my my feeling of self-worth and the sort of the psychology of clothing in a sense you know that i know it's it's unsustainable but i need to do it you know i need to have these things i need because i 
I see it on my followers. Do they like me? Do they not like me? And of course, I do not want to be liked. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's where the problem is. But I think, I think we're kind of, we, the general public, get lulled into um, like seeing something, like you said, with that lookbook, because um, I felt the same way. The first time I saw fashion bloggers, I just all of a sudden was so excited because here now, somebody did not choose who the model is. Somebody did not pick the model ideal, and those are the only women that are getting coverage and, and everything else. Now women can say, I'm the model, and, and the followers just kind of go. And I, I was really excited about this idea of this democratization of, of modeling and what the internet could do. And then, of course, I realized, oh, but now the pressure is on them even more because it's self-driven to have more clothes, to do more posing, to do, and we've seen that kind of breakdown over the last year or two when Insta, Instagram stars kind of come clean about all the work that they've been doing to make this kind of pseudo life. So I think it's about maybe re, like kind of breaking down some of the words. And I saw you um, give a talk about the democratization of fashion. And, and in a lot of times when people are talking about fast fashion and, and yeah, I don't, I don't mean to go back to this kind of, we can make it sustainable, but um, when people talk about this rate at which the fashion industry is going and this kind of locomotive that's heading ahead, full steam ahead, they talk about it as being democratized because it's affordable. And I, I heard you make a very interesting kind of um, shift about what that means. Do you, do you know which talk I'm talking about? I'm not too sure, but, but, but I think that the, the tricky part for me is that democratization to us means some sort of political empowerment and we we hold it you know as an ideal that that you know we become participants in the in, in in the political system whereas of course we don't have any power at all in fashion you know and also democracy as as we know it at least you know takes for granted that every person has one vote each for example you know whereas of course richer people have a lot more votes in fashion than poor people and all these kind of things you know and also we cannot really hold people accountable you know nobody is taking our calls when we call Karl Lagerfeld and says oh we want more tie-dye clothes Karl Lagerfeld you know nobody's going to answer that call because there there is no such political process of, of, of participation or influencing you know so so the tricky part with our use of democratization in fashion is not only that the fashion system is definitely not democratic, but also that it also sort of shifts back to perhaps our relationship to democracy itself, that we start treating democracy as a consumer economy also, you know, so, I mean, coming back to, to the way we, we, we look at elections and things is that, well, it's the most... Uh, um, political candidates that has the most sort of commodity appeal... or, 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 or yeah, you know, really, but famous yeah. that 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 have the most influence. You know, so it's a double-edged sword there, definitely. It's so yeah, it's so it's so interesting. So let's get um, actually let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and dive into addiction. All right. New York State cares about New York's farmers. That's why we've developed the New York State Grown and Certified Program. It's a seal New Yorkers can look for when they're shopping for food that comes from local farms. 
Customers are more likely to buy food that has the New York State grown and certified seal because it tells them that it comes from a farm that follows environmentally responsible, farm-safe protocols. In other words, the New York State grown and certified seal tells them their food is grown right, right here in New York State. You're a farmer with a lot to do. But the time it takes to sign up for the program is a great investment for your business because it lets shoppers know that your food meets higher standards, has passed assessments, and is produced by environmentally friendly farming practices. To learn about participating in the program, go to certified.ny.gov. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black, and I'm sitting having a kind of post-New Year conversation with Otto von Busch. So, Otto, did you, how did you get here? Like, did you start as a designer? Did you start as a critical thinker? Like, how, how did your life path lead you to kind of all of these hats that you wear? Well, I think technically I, I never went to full-time fashion school. You know, I went to evening classes and these kind of things and, and had before that studied crafts. And, you know, I had the dream of becoming a guitar builder when I was younger, uh, young or whatever. Uh, and, um, and then um, I studied art history but started get really interested in advertisement images and especially around fashion advertisement. So that was what I wrote my different essays and, and theses about. And then I also studied design program called material and virtual design that was trying to sort of look at interaction design and objects um and from there i i I sort of started my phd and those two worlds came together with sort of interaction design and this whole communities around digital practices new media this is like 15 years ago and that sort of 20 um, about um new media thinking about open source, participation, uh, media that is, is democratic in that sense. You know? and, and, and that interest merged then with, with my fashion interest from before, and I started looking into well, how can we hack the fashion system? Is there something, you know, what, what is hacking in fashion? How do they overlap? Is hacking, well, you know, is the fashion industry having sort of an operating system that could be more like Linux than Windows. You know, that was sort of the metaphors I was using and it's many years ago now. But, but the idea was basically to sort of, could the fashion system that is not be sort of so hierarchical and elitist, but could it be more flatter and bizarre-like and more participatory? Or is there an inherent paradox there? Which I think is still the paradox I'm starting to look at in a sense of, does fashion, how exclusive does fashion need to be or can it be inclusive? You know, so if it's exclusive, it needs to exclude people. But how does that, you know, if we want it more inclusive and more democratic in a truer sense and empowering, will it actually undermine the very exclusivity that we're searching for in a sense? The more meaning that the more people that wear it, the less valuable it is. In a sense. So, so how, 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 are, how is the fashion designer supposed to balance those two parts of a true em- emancipation, true empowerment of the, 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 the subject? versus a sort of the an economy that is more like a zero-sum game you know we we compete for a certain amount of positions in a sense you know and those are not open to everyone and and how could they be what other values could we tie into then than those for example so a fashion designer that works with a more inclusive practice perhaps doesn't actually strive for the exclusivity that a red carpet look does, you know, but more an, an inclusivity that works much more on a personal 
empowering level, you know, meaning that it works much more with memories, more with identity production that happens through community, through that happens through the production of, of, of scenes, in a sense, you know, how subcultures produce communities and 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 loyalty to each other in a sense and you know, how how can clothing be part of that what what sort of rituals and what sort of services could a fashion designer orchestrate to build other values than that we work with with clothes you know and and that's of course can include anything from sort of different crafts techniques and dyeing and embroidery la la those kind of things and but also recycling in a sense you know how how does the sort of the knitting circle and those kind of you know um, um, craft communities and, and, and communities of practice how do those values balance excluding values in fashion system and how could those be how could the industry, fashion designers try to work in a much wider palette or quiver in a sense of skills and possibilities rather than strive for this very sort of uh, funnel-like system where we all try to struggle for the very, very few places at the top. In a sense. And uh, is it in your in your mind then that we're kind of we're all involved in this system? So designers are are producing kind of more and more, and we are consuming more and more, and nobody can kind of step out of out of the existing structure the way that it is. I think this is definitely the the one side of what we call the democratization of fashion, or this fast fashion, or cheap, accessible fashion is the 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 shift in values where i think fashion just a, a few decades back were definitely something that did not concern everyone because not everyone could access it and it required a kind of a statement to move out or be, or you know turn to the sort of the, draw the subculture card and or foster that kind of of sensitivity or and 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 identity production to now where i think you know Everyone, basically, I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of people can have access to fast fashion. You know, that is the big change. It basically costs as much. A new garment can cost as low as a coffee or or something like that. And I think that also means that our judgment of looks and other people means that we take for granted that people are in the game. You know, and I think that is a big change. Meaning that that even if not everyone is in the game, the the mentality has changed to look at people as if they're in the game. And so how do we kind of break that down? How do, as a, as a consumer or as a citizen, how can I break that chain or how can I kind of step back? Like I wanted, I wanted, I titled this episode, like our addiction to fashion. Like how can, how can we in this new year and kind of this new enlightenment make change? I mean, I first, I think a tricky part is exactly the the awareness question. We can sort of tie that back into sort of food and things too. You know, I may be aware that that you know corn syrup is bad for me, or you know I should eat less sugar, and you know that fat or that Snickers is not or whatever, you know. But I f- the craving in the stomach makes decisions for me which are extremely hold, extremely hard to hold back, and that very quickly rationalize on top of my 
of my super ego where you want to say, you know, that, that, oh my God, my blood sugar is so low and I have to teach this evening. So I should get that sneaker anyway, even though I know it's bad for me. You know, I sort of, the decision has already been made in my body. And then I sort of invent the rational reason on top of it to sort of try to deal with my, with my, with myself. And I think we have the, really the same emotional response to clothing. You know, I pass by this H&M store and I just, oh my God, that looks good. And it's just $10 and, oh, and I have this job interview tomorrow. I don't know what that sounds radically, but just, uh, uh, you know, I just want to feel good about myself. Perhaps I just go in there and I rationalize after. I suddenly, it was on the sale or whatever. And I, you know, I, I think the tricky part is that awareness is so easily tricked, you know, and I think especially there, you know, our cravings are just, you know, fashion is so tied into how our how our social reward systems in our brain is working. And I think that is really the tricky part in how we're going to try to start addressing fashion because we will need... Awareness is not going to be enough. We need to train. You know, we need to find situations and services and things that are you know, almost, you know, alcoholics, anonymous. and You know, but we need to find training programs to to try to build self-esteem and self-worth in other ways than buying and seeing ourselves on images and feeling the feedback in likes and stuff online you know so we need to find train ourselves to limit the reward mechanisms and the impact they have on us you know the dopamine charge you know the kick i get from seeing people retweeting or whatever they do with my with my look or whatever you know and i just feel oh my god i'm seen and i have the numbers on it and look now that person saw me that person that i really look up to that's amazing and of course i feel like i'm flying you know i'm that is the dopamine journey. that is what 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 feels so good about myself and that is of course what the fashion industry is really good at tying into and and make me feel that oh this is a cheap one auto go and buy it now you know nobody know <laughs> and 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 this is of course the tricky part you know i it's not going to be enough to say to myself, oh, I need to hold back. You know, I want that. I want to be seen. I want to be acknowledged. Everybody wants to. Everybody wants to be loved. And this is the way we, we feel loved in a visual culture that, that is so cheap and accessible. You know? I yeah. love that you tie it actually to like food addiction or alcohol or substance addiction because I think I think you're I think you're absolutely correct and I think that most people don't actually kind of give it that credit and 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 from a broader perspective like understanding how much um, messaging we're inundated from and and to your point like through our our kind of open source or through our digital access it's only gotten worse and so. I'm just trying to think, like, so you have children. So when your children um, feel this lure, like, what will, you, what will you tell? Like, what are other alternatives to kind of get that um, confidence or to kind of, like, what do you suggest? I mean, I, it's a tricky part. You know, my, even already in, in kindergarten, I know, you know, it happened to another of, of, of my daughter's friends. She, and they were only four years old, you know, but already as, as they sort of entered kindergarten, they were in Sweden. But, you know, they would be looking at each other what they were wearing and somewhere, you know, and the older kids especially. And, 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 and one day our neighbor had gotten a bad comment about her red sneakers and she refused to wear the red sneakers, you know, and she's four years old. And, and of course, I want to over-dramatize that, but I think there is something about how... Um, that is almost the new normal, you know, if you want to say so. And I think that what what could be done is also to, to figure out, you know, 
sublimination techniques or, or you know how to find other ways to express your creativity find other ways to to feel that you know this may not look really cool but i made it myself and that is a self-worth that is different from what you can buy for example you know and 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 then looking into you know well that is perhaps what that sort of creativity part that meets fashion means you know so so if i have a run a recycling workshop or something like that it's not so much the outcome how the outcome technically looks and if it looks better or worse but it's how not only did i sew it myself you know but i had peers looking at me supporting me throughout this this endeavor that i feel in my spine as courage you know because yes you guys may not look at it or you know like it right now but i have 10 others that really enjoyed it last night and that i carried their um, their positive judgments with me in order to take more flack or more, or more bad looks from others later you know and i think we as fashion designers we can start to manipulate or but you know uh, transferring some of those different um mechanisms of building self-worth rather than place everything into the economy as it works you know everything onto the brand to tell us who we are or the sort of you know that type of economized part of identity production you know and i think it's it's really interesting of how could fashion designers become much more better at orchestrating social support circles social support systems that that you know deal with recycling deal with other types of 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 of, of um practices that then make me feel better about myself and my clothes rather than feel that exactly my self-worth is dependent on what I can buy and what other people how the people other people look at me it's true it's true and it's also about changing your tribe right like hanging out with people or or making sure that in your social circles you're with other people who are not judging you know the latest trend or the label or you know some sort of aesthetic that's that's driven outside of what they like because I think that people also just get disconnected from what they like like they take a lot of cues from media and and everything else and we're kind of we're we're not even so sure what we like anymore no right and and i think that but also there there's a there's a possibility of like you know of building character meaning that character that you're actually partly resistant against these kind of things you know that i mean bad looks and or, or you know side looks and these kind of things you know so i think how how can i orchestrate a fashion design system or, or, or a service that builds character that makes me more immune to the bad look you know, and, and also makes me st a stronger character that I actually can. The self-esteem is emanating, radiating from me and people will say, oh wow, that person just owns their look, you know. And that is not necessarily dependent on what they bought, but just because they have a straight back and, and, and a pride. It's true, it's true. I went through this when I, well, we just talked earlier um, on the break about our immigration stories, but when I first moved to this country, I couldn't work for three years, so I was very... Um, impoverished shall I say so I switched to uniform dressing because I had to I just couldn't afford it and then it kind of broke something about this what you were mentioning earlier about having to go out be at an event and and wear something different or oh my gosh I'm going to be photographed in in the same thing to the point where now I own it I'm photographed in almost exactly the same thing all the time like I have basically you know two black dresses and this jacket and I wear them all the time and I'm actually okay with that because it takes away, I don't stress about 
what I'm going to wear anymore. I don't worry about what image I'm trying to portray or project. I just kind of go to one of the three uniforms that I wear and I put it on and I think more about what I'm going to say and who I'm going to, you know, meet and, and get to focus actually on a lot of other different elements of the event. And it's kind of created a lightness that I, that I'm so grateful for. And I think we need to balance that. You know, it's when Vivian Westwood and others, you know, say that we should buy less and, and, and wear it longer. And, and you know, um, there's also, well, then you have also reached a certain level in society, you know, or you have, a, you have built your, your social so status or whatever on other um, bases, or we want to say, you know, other type of scaffolding than perhaps your looks only, you know. And I think the tricky part is exactly that it's easy for us to blame fast fashion and the people who buy fast fashion to say that they are the ones who's unsustainable, but at the same time they are often the ones who are struggling getting up, you know, up up in the ladder of 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 of, of, of social esteem and, and and making a career or whatever, you know. And I think the tricky part here is like, how do we not end up like blaming? Or, 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 or reducing the possibilities of people for social mobility in their dressed realm, and then us sort of, you know, or the, the sustainable people, then, you know, riding high horses and saying that we are the ones, you know, because we have, we inherit, you know, I have clothes that my children can inherit. Well, that's because they also can inherit a certain wealth or whatever, you know, whereas those who cannot inherit that don't want to inherit their old, their parents' old clothes, you know. So I think that's a, that's a tricky balance that, that still, you know, we, we cannot disregard that sort of a, an accessible and cheap fashion offers a certain kind of ability of, of, of an aesthetic social mobility, if you want to say. So, so how do we still preserve that type of mobility, but without the environmental and, 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 and social and mental consequences of that in the competition and all these kind of things? Can there be other ways to, to, to represent that social mobility, but through other types of social esteem, other types of, 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 of clothing that can be recycled and upcycled or however we want to do it? Yes. And so do you make your own clothes? I do quite a lot, yes. Yeah. Or, or a lot of remaking, I, I would say, rather. You know, I, 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 I've had a brand for some time where I recycled... I produced cookbooks that were recycling, about recycling the garments that are dying in the back of your wardrobe. So I call it self-passage, and I made these cookbooks, and you could download them sort of as PDFs, and the whole idea was to sort of reclaim the sewing machine, that you know you would teach yourself different simple methods of not having to do complicated sewing, like pockets or linings or collars, or, you know, but using the already-made details of old clothing that you don't use, but then how can you re remake them in different ways that will still step-by-step step make you reclaim your sewing machine, but also feel that there's something extremely gratifying that, you know, after spending just a few hours recycling something, you can try it on and you can go out there and you can just see do, how do people look, you know, or at me, you know, yeah. is it approval or disapproval? You know, how, how, how that immediate feedback of, of, of modulating your look but using stuff that you anyway basically were going to throw out because they're in the back of the wardrobe, sort of self-decomposing or whatever happens, happens with clothes back there, you know. And you use them as, as this sort of material to, to train yourself, you know. And, I love, yeah. I can't even tell you, like the smile on my face. Oh. I so love that. Because especially if you have emotional attachment to pieces or you're like kind of loath to let them go, but then you kind of give them new life. And so is this also on Amazon? No, it's, but it's on selfpassage.org where I put all these other things. It's called the Recyclopedia that I started building there. Oh my yes. goodness. And so where can people find more about your work? So 
selfpassage.org is where I upload also my academic work, but also my artistic work, and also this old recyclopedia is there. It hasn't been updated for now some time, and when I have time, I will start to work that. And I also put especially these, you know, my print-on-demand books that I do, and they're also there as PDFs so people can download them for free just for, for fun, but if they want a printed copy to give to someone or something, they could buy them very cheaply on, on through a link on Amazon. That's how I put my stuff there. Yeah, that's what I did at Christmas. I downloaded a whole bunch of your books, which are really amazing. Like, it's really lovely to kind of sit with all of this, um, these ideas for reflection quietly on my chair and in my corner of my house and just kind of reflect. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank Thank you for coming out in the cold. Thank you, Kate. Um, I want to thank Heritage Radio Network for supporting um, Magnifico Radio. There's lots of great indie programs about food, the planet, and other topics all on Heritage Radio Network. You can see um, Magnifico.com. Please go and sign up for our newsletter. And if you have any feedback, questions, want to be a sponsor, recommend a guest, please just email me, radio at Magnifico.com. Until next week. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.